This next story is a really fascinating one. The Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, or the Oblates, ran nearly 50 residential schools, mainly in Western Canada, including the Kamloops Residential School here in BC and the Maryvale Residential School at the Cowessess First Nation in Saskatchewan. Both those schools, of course, are sites of the discovery of unmarked graves uh, last year. Now, the Oblates headquarters are in Rome, and that is where the head archivist of the Winnipeg-based National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation arrived recently to spend five days searching through their archives for more documents, personal records, employment records, and so on, uh, to find out more about how the order ran those residential schools. Now, it's rare for anyone to gain access to those archives, and Raymond Frogner wasn't quite sure what he might find. To his surprise, one of the things he did discover was photographs. Lots of them. Hundreds of them. The images apparently are part of an early 20th century photo series sent by priests from various institutions in Canada, including the former Kamloops Indian Residential School and many others. And they could help shed further light on the schools and the kids, and specifically the kids who never made it home. Joining me now is Raymond Frogner. He's the head of archives at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation in Winnipeg. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is a, you know, obviously some fascinating work that you've done. Um, what, how did this opportunity present itself? It seems like this is something we would have hoped to have done long ago, but I understand that uh, the opportunity finally presented itself for you to be able to go through these archives. Right. Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, we've been dis- in discussions with <clears throat> the various um, representatives of the Oblates for, for quite some time. <clears throat> the NCTR was full. NCTR was formed in 2015, but uh, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission before us, um, which was created in 2008, was in discussions and uh, had begun collecting records at that time. And um, over the years, as as the conversations progressed, uh, it became more and more clear that, uh, you know, a full, accountable and transparent access to the records of the Oblates was the only uh, sort of morally reasonable solution to the situation. Um, the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement had mandated um, the TRC with the responsibility to create as complete as possible um, a collection of records and a resource base for the history and the legacy, to study the history and legacy of the residential school system. And the only way that could be done is with uh, complete accountability of the records. So over time, um, the Oblates, you know, came to the full realization of this fact. Um, originally, uh, they were very, very hesitant to release anything regarding personnel files. Um, the Codex Historicus, which were kind of like a daily journal, um, which is mandated under canon law that they be kept. Um, they were also uh, reluctant to produce anything um, uh, from the Codexes as well. Uh, so uh, as, as time progressed, uh, like I said, um, and the conversations expanded, um, it became clear that uh, the Oblates the needed to to open up their records and, and be more uh, transparent about their activities in managing these schools. And um, to be clear, they, they managed not, um, 48 schools in Western Canada and also some uh, additional schools in the North. So uh, they were by far and away the largest religious order um, when it came to managing residential schools in Canada. Um, <clears throat> the, the trip to Rome, which I think was the original question, um, came about after, uh, I would say maybe a little over a year ago, uh, after some discussions uh, about opening up the records. Um, and uh, I do think that 
you know, the, the, the discoveries of unmarked grave sites in the spring of 2021 cast a spotlight on, on the activities of the Oblates um, and uh, reluctance to open the records was only, you know, fanning the flames of the discontent about the, that history. So uh, about a year ago, they mentioned that, you know, they had a general administrative archive in Rome. Um, and that was the first time they actually brought it up with us directly. Um, by that time, they'd already come to the conclusion that they would open up their Codex Historicus to us. Um, and we'd begun to collect those. Um, and that they would also open up to a certain degree their personnel files, which we're still negotiating with them to completely open. Um, but when they mentioned the archives in Rome, um, I had immediately you know, posed a lot of questions regarding the contents of, of that archive and um, asked if I could see, you know, uh, file lists, finding aids, any other kind of research um, aids that I could acquire to get a better handle on what was actually in that archive. And after several months of discussion, they, they finally said, well, you know, why don't you just come to the archives in Rome and see for yourselves? So eventually, um, that's, you know, that's what we did. In the meantime, as you know, um, you know, uh, elders representing various indigenous communities went to Rome to meet with the Pope, who mm -hmm. gave, offered a formal apology at that visit. And then subsequent to that, the Pope came to Canada um, to come to uh, Quebec, Edmonton, and Iqaluit. So um, there have been some um, events in between that also, uh, again, argued for the need to open these records up as completely as possible. And they mm -hmm. all sort of led to the um, to the final act of my visit to the General Administrative Archives of the Oblates in Rome. What was it like to wander in there for the first time and be confronted with all these these records that I know you've been eager to look at? Um, yeah. What What were you looking for? What were you hoping to find? And uh, what did you find? Um, well, I, I mean, <clears throat> as I said, I had a very uh, loose understanding of, of the contents because the finding aids that the Oblates had kept for these records was not very detailed. Um, so, I mean, ideally I was hoping to find more information on missing children. Um, one of our, our highest priorities is to understand the final destiny of children who's, who have been lost at residential schools, but also to further understand the experience of those children at the schools. Um, and finally, of course, um, to fully create um, the context of the history and legacy of those schools with more record keeping and more records so, I mean, as I said, um, you know, top of my list was, of course, evidence of the children and their experiences. Um, but secondly, just to, to flesh out the context as much as I possibly could. Um, when I got there, it was, it was quite striking. Um, um, the Oblates are, are in a comp, they live in sort of a, a compound um, near uh, uh, the Philippine Embassy. Right, uh, not far from the Vatican, right? Not too, too yeah. far from the Vatican. I remember that building. It's quite beautiful, if I remember yeah, correctly. And it, yeah, and former, former residence of an Italian nobleman who donated it to them. And um, so going inside, uh, there is uh, the, the reading room, and I could show you, show you pictures sometime, mm -hmm. but uh, it has a lot of iconography, Catholic iconography. Um, you know, the, the Virgin Mary in the statue is overlooking the reading room tables. When you come into the reading room, there's right. an enormous mural showing um, the founder of the Oblates as, as well as the, the Pope at the time of the founding in 1816. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, Catholic iconography and, and design in, in the building. Um, the records themselves, as the title suggests, are very administrative. Uh, they're broken down into uh, five categories. 
original manuscripts, uh, photographs, provinces, that is the provinces of the various missions, not the Canadian provinces, um, ad administrative records, um, and photographs. So um, what I found was, um, oh, and also personnel files, but what I found was um, that the, the most revealing records were, to my surprise, the photographs. Right. Um, there was a considerable amount, I would say, between oh, 750 to 1,000 black and white photographs that were sent back to Rome um, documenting uh, various residential schools across the country, uh, including lots of photos of children unidentified. So, uh, you know, I was quite excited to see all these and, you know, um, to no one's surprise, the, the archivist who was in charge of the records really had no idea of the significance of those photographs when I was excitedly explaining to him that these could be photos of children that thought, are thought to have been lost at schools. They, they really had no understanding of the, of the history of residential schools in Canada at all. So um, the discussion turned to how quickly could we um, digitize these photographs um, and potentially uh, what did the Oblates think of returning those photographs to the communities that, doc that where the children came from. So those discussions are ongoing, um, but they were very open to the fact uh, that they do need to digitize the records make them available to communities so that they can identify the children. And will the, the jury is still out on whether or not they're open to replug and returning the records, or returning the photographs. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stop you very quickly. My guest here is Raymond Frogner, head of archives at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation. We'll take a quick break. We're talking about uh, work he's done uh, at the Oblates in Rome, where they opened up the archives of residential schools, specifically those in the West and some in the North. Uh, the archives of those, or at least the, the documentary archives that they have on in their possession back in Rome, uh, and just some of what he's found, including up to a thousand photographs and some photographs of, of residential schools whose names will now be familiar to many Canadians as well. We'll talk about just how much that could add to what we already know or don't know about those residential schools after this. Our guest this half hour is Raymond Frogner. He's the head of archives at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation. We've been talking about a trip to Rome that he made recently uh, to look through the archives of, uh, of, of the Oblates who uh, were responsible for running residential schools, specifically out west and in, in the north of the country as well. Uh, and just some of what he discovered, including, uh, to his surprise, the most revealing perhaps was a collection of photographs, up to a thousand photographs. Uh, Raymond, I understand that some of these photographs actually involve uh, residential schools that have become very familiar to Canadians over the past uh, 12, 12, 18 months now. Yes, correct. Um, there were photographs from uh, Kawases, Kamloops, um, uh, Penelicate, St. Mary's, Stolo, Williams Lake. Um, many of the communities that are now undergoing um, uh, different investigations at the unmarked burial sites. Uh, so I think, I think it was no small discovery. And um, as I said, the next step would be to digitize and make them available to communities as quickly as we possibly can. Yeah, you're hoping communities will be able to help you identify at least or, or, or tell some of the more of the story behind those photos. Yes, yes, I have, I have no doubt um, that we've done this before and we're actually working on, a, on a, a sort of a participatory description app that we're going to put onto our website that will allow communities to log in and then supply names and descriptions to photographs that are undescribed. That's how I think we can do this. When it came to the personnel files, I'd imagine some of just how those who were working there described um, life 
there would have been revealing. But I, I gather that that it was quite uh, administrative, as you mentioned, that there wasn't a whole lot in there about life at the school, about the yeah. children there. That's right. Uh, it was a fo- it was a focus on the on the missionary or the priests themselves. So they talk about their um, their life as a novice priest, as you know, their application to become a priest, and all the all the steps that go into getting recognized. Um, the obediences, which are the assignments from Rome to the missionary um, to go somewhere out in a mission of, somewhere in the world. Um, so it wasn't always. It was definitely not exclusively Canada. Um, there's oblate missions around the world, and the obediences that come from Rome um, could have potentially sent a, a priest to any any corner of the of the of the planet, really. Um, but generally speaking, you know, it made sense to see that the obediences of you know priests that came out of Canada were to go to other places in Canada, such as residential schools. So you know, there was the the obediences, the the the, the novice admin. admin admission into the order and in the services. So it was basically documenting the life of the missionary. Um, right. So even, um, and I did have a list of, of you know, like uh, priests who have been convicted of crimes, particularly crimes that involved the abuse of children. And even in those cases where I was able to find the personal files of those priests, they nevertheless just documented very, in a very administrative way, the fact that they fulfilled their obligations um, and it's called the formation or the um, the various phases of the, the life of a priest. Um, right. And if they left the order, you know, that's where the file ended. So not much, not much there that could tell you uh, more detail about what may have happened or what was going on in the schools at the time. That's right. There's, seen, there's occasionally veiled references to priests having difficulty with children, but even there, um, never, you know, any kind of direct discussion or information about what happened to the children um it was always the focus was always on the the missionary life of the priest and you know the administration of those responsibilities so to sum it up in terms of just your first experience with this what could you know what is what has did produce some really interesting items uh were you satisfied with what you found or do you feel like there might be more there or or you know how did you walk away from that experience um i would certainly think there is more there i mean the manuscript collection was quite disappointing um you know, there are some very um, prominent names in, in the, the Catholic um, pantheon that was, that, you know, that worked with the Oblate Order in Canada. Um, Emile Gourard, um, Alexandre Taché, um, Gaston Carrier, these are all, and they've all, they all published manuscripts. Um, and to my surprise, none of them, none of the top five or six, you know, authors of important Catholic manuscripts from the Oblate Order were at in the manuscript collection in Rome. Um, we can find those uh, more effectively in Library and Archives Canada and um, the Archives Nationale du Québec. So uh, I would say for the manuscript collection, it was a bit of a letdown. The personnel files, um, I, when I came back from Rome, I, I did a similar search for the personnel files uh, for certain priests that I found in Rome. And not to my surprise, I found that the the personal files in the local province archives that are now located in the Provincial Archives of Alberta, uh, the Société Historique de Saint Boniface, in those personal files was much more information. Um, so, to my mind, I think um, communities looking for information on the lives of children uh, and any other kind of context they'd like to understand about the history would 
would more effectively focus their attention on um, the local personnel files that are still kept in the provinces, the Chatelet, St. Boniface, French Archives, Alberta, uh, BC New Zealand Archives. Um, I would say that there's probably a lot of information in the administrative files that I wasn't able to see. I'm thinking of things concerning, for example, um, policies. What were the policies and procedures of the Oblate Order, especially regarding priests that were found guilty of, you know, abusing children or, or just misbehavior of one kind or another. Um, I'm, I have no doubt that there's, there must be policy and discussion in the administrative files in Rome about what is to be done about these situations. As a very last yes or no question, do you have a plan to go back? Uh, well, I would, I, I would very much like to see, as I said, the digitization of those photographs. Um, mm. we're, out, we're now in discussion with um, representatives to, to see what can be done about opening up those files, digitizing them and getting us copies. If that requires going back, I, I suppose so. <laughs> um, but uh, hopefully, um, I was, to my surprise, nothing there was digitized. There was no digitization program whatsoever. Um, but then when I think about it, it's a private archive. It serves its purpose, which was just to document the lives of those missionaries. Well, I, it, fascinating that you managed to have a look and found what you found, uh, specifically the photographs, and uh, looking forward to see what uh, what that what materializes from that. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Great. Well, thanks for having me.